In today's third episode of the Sports and Psychology Podcast, coming to you every Saturday morning, we are doing a deep dive into European basketball players like Tomasz Satoranski and Janan Musa, who've recently decided to come back to Europe and play in Spain in the EuroLeague. We'll jump into some of the lesser-known psychological reasons behind why these decisions are made, and some of the cultural differences that Americans just aren't aware of. If you're someone who works with European athletes, are an expat, or in general are just interested in the psychology behind both sports and bridging the cultural gap to pursue one's career, then you're right where you want to be. Hello, buenos dias, dobry den, ohio gozaimasu! Welcome to the Sports and Psychology Podcast, the weekly Saturday morning pod where we talk all things athletes, tactics, performance, and most importantly, mindset. I am your host, letting them three balls fly, Cord Thomas. I'm a mindset coach specializing in sports psychology, performance, stress, and anxiety reduction, and mental preparation having helped hundreds of clients and tens of professional athletes exceed their potential, reach their goals, and lead fulfilling lives. I'm recording today's pod right here out of my apartment in the beautiful Prague, Czech Republic. After becoming a two-time Taekwondo Junior Olympic medalist and moving from the US to Europe to study and play basketball, I really found my passion in the psychology of success. Before we hop into things, do me a favor, hit that follow button below the video or the pod to get updates on new episodes, and if you're here with me on YouTube, hit me with a like and a comment, and I will respond to anyone that does. Thank you for helping others to see this by beating the algorithm, and thank you for making the Sports and Psychology Pod your first Saturday morning listen. If you want to reach out and connect with me personally, join in our mailbag episode, or give me your feedback, you can find me on Instagram at athlete.m1ndset, Twitter, athlete mindset, that is athlete.m1ndset, or email me at sportsandpsychologypod at gmail.com. As is our tradition here on the Sports and Psychology Pod, we're starting things out with the news and notes of the week. Now, I'm going to apologize right off the bat here to any of you who are not big basketball fans. This podcast is going to be very basketball heavy but should be interesting from a perspective of all sports anyway, since we're really talking cultural differences. Now, we've had a lot in the news this past week, and I want to hit on some of the more positive notes first. Let's start with the WNBA. ESPN registered half a million viewers across their platforms, and a few more, of course, will be watching through other platforms. This is fantastic. Please keep watching. The more viewers and interest there is in the sport of women's basketball, the sooner we can get these amazing athletes paid like they should be. There's no reason why many of them make more money playing in Europe during the WNBA offseason in stadiums where courtside tickets cost less than $50, and in the US these players can't make a living. Don't get me wrong, I love the fact that I can see multiple-time Defensive Player of the Year or All-Stars here in Prague, but it's not what's best for these ladies who are top-of-the-world talent and have to spend most of their year outside of the US, just to have the money to live. So great job world and media highlighting the WNBA game. As I'm recording this podcast, the Aces are up on the sun in the finals 2-0, and they look dominant. Is there an answer from the sun to change up their defense? 
To be honest, I'm not sure if it's possible. With the triple threat of Chelsea Gray, Aja Wilson, and Kelsey Plum coming alive to score 20 points as well in the, end, in the second game, I don't see how defensively there's any slowing them down. And I love Alyssa Thomas as a player, especially because she played here in Prague a couple years ago. But it just looks like the offensive firepower from the Sun isn't there. So they have to figure out something defensively to take away at least two of the three offensive threats from the Aces and see if they can force just one player to score like 50 points and be okay with that. Or at least that would be the answer from the NBA perspective. Let's hop over to Eurobasket. A lot has happened since the last podcast. Serbia lost to Italy in a game where Italy caught absolute fire from three. Greece took out the Czech team in the best game I've seen the Czechs play. But Greece held on thanks to Giannis. The Czech team didn't have an answer for him in the fourth quarter, and he was a monster hitting a combination of threes and dunking every other possession through three defenders. Without Giannis, the Czech team wins that game by 30. Greece then went on to lose to Germany, which felt more like a battle of the point guards, which Dennis Schroeder definitely won. Finland and Lori Markkinen took out the Croatian team with their great fast-breaking offense and a lot of ball movement on the offensive end of the floor, before being outmatched by the Spanish team in the brute force of Juancho Hernan Gomez, along with Rudy Fernandez just being Rudy and hitting deep threes. France had two great nail-biting games against both Turkey and Italy, both of which they probably should have won in regulation. The French game gets bogged down by a lot of iso play and by having the twin towers of Gobert and Poirier or Yabusele inside. On top of that, they struggle to defend the three-point line, with the other team's bigs usually being great three-point shooters. That takes us to France's semi-final opponents, Poland. Who? Yes. Poland is in the semi-finale of Eurobasket. Their first time reaching this stage since 1997. They are a young team, and probably over half of the roster wasn't even alive yet when they got this far last time. And the only former NBA player in AJ Slaughter played in some summer league games back in 2010. That's it. Everyone else are up-and-coming or established EuroLeague players. Their emotional leader and dead-eye three-point specialist is the 29-year-old Mateusz Bonitka, who plays in the Italian Basketball League for Reggio Emilia. Poland plays an aggressive but fundamentally sound game that really relies on post play, ball movement, and good mid-range shooting from their bigs on drive and kicks. France is going to be an issue for them, but they were able to draw up a game plan for both the Ukraine and Luka Doncic and the Slovenian team, fouling Luka out of the game with three minutes left in the fourth. I'm excited to see what they draw up for the French team and to see if they can't make it to the finals to face the Spanish or German team, the both of which I think have played a lot better in this tournament and in international basketball recently than the French team. Obviously, a positive outcome from this for the Polish players could be greater interest from NBA teams in having more Polish players back in the NBA. As far as I know, the last one was the Polish hammer Marcin Gortat, who officially retired from basketball in 2020. Now, dear listeners, please, if you're listening to this after I'm wrong, let me know in the comments below. Let me have it. I'm completely fine with that. Go for it. Um, Or if any of my facts are off, please let me know. I will correct it in the next pod. The last piece of news that I definitely feel a need to cover before we hop into the topic of the week is the Robert Sarver suspension for a year from all NBA-related activities and his $10 million fine. I'm on the same boat as LeBron, Chris Paul, and so many others in the NBA and media covering the NBA screaming that this isn't enough. It's happened over an 18-year period that was being scrutinized. So, yes, unfortunately, somehow in the U.S., using derogatory terms towards African Americans and women was 
more common, used to be more common. But I wouldn't say it was ever acceptable for a person who's supposed to be a leader to behave like an old bigot. Sarver, though, is from Arizona where he made his fortune in banking. Now, my wife and I drove through a lot of Arizona last year, and old white bigots is pretty much all you see. That and a poverty-stricken Phoenix with drug issues. And the nice area of eastern Phoenix in Tempe where the well-off bigoted white families live. Now, I'm generalizing, obviously not everyone hates people of other color, but there are some stereotypes. Outside of Phoenix, pretty much everywhere we drove, we saw signs and protests. Mind you, this was still in the depth of the pandemic, saying COVID is a hoax, Trump won the election, kill the Democrats, Jesus loves Trump, etc. Yes, this is real. People have these signs hanging up on banners and cover their houses in them. So if Sarver, his whole life, has been surrounded by these kinds of people, it's easy to see how making sexist comments or inappropriately commenting what women are or aren't wearing might seem acceptable. Honestly, Arizona is probably worse off than Texas when it comes to backwards politically incorrect thinking. So anyways, sorry Texas, but that's the stereotype. Coming back to Sarver's comments and what the NBA inquiry could confirm. Yes, I'm saying there were probably many more instances of these things happening, just there wasn't enough or any evidence to prove it. Here is the wording from the official report. The investigation finds that during his 18-year tenure as governor of the Suns organization, Sarver has engaged in conduct that clearly violated Common Suns workplace standards, as reflected in team and league rules and policies. This conduct included the use of racially insensitive language, unequal treatment of female employees, sex-related statements and conduct, and harsh treatment of employees that on occasion constituted bullying. The conduct was consistent over the period of those interviewed. Over 100 individuals witnessed Sarver's statements or actions that violated applicable standards. And the conduct had a substantial impact on employees, with some witnesses describing their experiences with Sarver in emotional and forceful terms. Sarver said the N-word at least five times in repeating or purporting to repeat what a black person said, four of those after being told by both black and white subordinates that he should not use the word even in repetition of another. Sarver used language and engaged in conduct demeaning of female employees. Among other examples, he told a pregnant employee that she would be unable to do her job upon becoming a mother, berated a female employee in front of others, and then commented that women cry too much, and arranged an all-female lunch so that female employees at Western Alliance Bank, where at the time he was CEO, could explain to female Sons employees how to handle his demands. Sarver commented and made jokes frequently to employees in large and small settings about sex and sex-related anatomy, including by making crude or otherwise inappropriate comments about the physical appearance and bodies of female employees and other women. On four occasions, Sarver engaged in workplace inappropriate physical conduct toward male employees. Over 50 current and former employees reported that Sarver frequently engaged in demeaning and harsh treatment of employees, including by yelling and cursing at them that on occasion constituted bullying under workplace standards. Okay, is anyone else screaming sociopath yet? This person seems to not be able to control his actions and enjoys hurting people who he sees as beneath him. And let's be honest, a billionaire old white guy sees everyone other than other white males, as wealthy as himself, as beneath him. I can't condone any of this. In a sport where the majority of the players, and now at least 
50% of the head coaches are not Caucasian. And in a league where working towards not only racial equality, but also the equality between the sexes in sport has been an effort, this just doesn't cut it. If the NBA was the NFL or MLB, maybe a person doesn't make as big of a deal, even though we should. But the NBA has a goal of leading on these fronts of equality and humanity. But, to be fair, the NBA doesn't have the power by themselves to punish owners and force them to sell a team. Only the Board of Governors and then other owners unanimously can come to that agreement. Which, let's be honest again, a bunch of rich white guys aren't going to kick another rich white guy out of their club. So Sarver gets a tiny slap on the hand in terms of a fine and a year away from the team. But what about the players? When I put on a jersey and go out to play a sport, I represent multiple things and people. I represent in the first place myself, my body of work, and all the time and effort I've put into that sport. I represent where I come from, my family, my home country, city or state, who we are and what people think about us. I represent the city, country or state I have on my jersey and where I'm currently living. The assumption with sports is that the majority of a team originates from the area that is on the front of the jersey. And so we represent that. We also therefore represent the fans cheering us on. We represent the coach or trainer who has come up with a game plan and instilled some sort of team culture and values. And lastly, you guessed it listeners, I represent in some way, shape or form, the owner of the team. I represent them because they're the ones I have a contract with. They're the ones who pay me for playing, and they're the ones who really benefit from whether the team sells tickets or not, and if the team is successful. Absolutely the players do benefit, but not to the level that the organization and owners do. That being said, I feel really bad for Chris Paul. Chris Paul is a vegan, supports doing what he can for animals in the planet. He also supports the WNBA, like every male basketball player should, showing up to games and talking up the game of the great ladies in the sport of basketball. And he absolutely showed up and spoke out during the Black Lives Matter protests and represented the NBA well as the president of the NBA Players Association. And what does he get for his efforts? Yet another old white bigot for an older. It seems to follow him around since the Donald Sterling suspension and sale of the Clippers. But maybe because he and others aren't satisfied with letting these things go anymore. So what can we do when we have a manager or owner who we're not proud to represent? First and foremost, we focus on the fact that we're representing ourselves and our teammates. Secondly, we take the platform we have, however big that may be, just like Chris Paul, just like LeBron James, and we speak out against the inequality. We go to work doing our best to make sure that we've done everything in our power to set things right. Thirdly, we accept that this is the world we live in and we let it go. Yeah, you heard me right, dear listener. We have to accept that not everyone in this world, including the people that we represent sometimes, are going to share our morals and values. We do what we can with the platform we have, and then we have to take that anger, fear, disgust, and pain, and say that these emotions are valid and acceptable. But I can't do anything about changing the situation other than what I am already doing. So how do I move forward towards accomplishing my goals and not let this person get in the way and hurt yet another individual? Me. I can't control others. And it's not an effective strategy to necessarily try and control our emotions when we're in pain. But we can channel those things in a direction that's positive for us and our lives. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about all things European players moving back to play basketball in Europe. 
It is time to talk about relaxation. One of my absolute favorite and classic responses from my clients when I ask them how they relax, be those footballers, basketball players, or my big strong hockey players, is that they watch film. Anytime they're not physically working on their sport, they're analyzing or envisioning the next workout or game, or they're analyzing film of themselves or their next opponents. The work ethic is amazing, but that's not relaxing. Relaxation isn't just for the body, it's for the mind as well. And we all need to take some time and forget about work for a while. So whether it's Netflix, a walk with your partner, going for a date, or just doing your best to relax and read something interesting not pertaining to your work and sport, here's a reminder that you need that every single day to be effective and focused when it's time to put the work in. So take care of yourself and make sure to actively relax your brain today. We are back. Now, I've decided that every once in a while, I want to try and do a deep dive on a certain player, their lives, their mindset, and what we can maybe expect from them moving forward. Today, I'm tackling this from a bit of a different angle, though, with Eurobasket going on and the news of a couple of great players in Janan Musa and Tomasz Satoransky leaving the NBA to go back to the Spanish NBL. Of course, they join other Spanish and European greats such as Rudy Fernandez, Sergio Yul, Sergio Rodriguez, Alex Abrines, Nikola Mirotic, as others have before them taken the decision to never go to the NBA when they had offers or to leave after a few seasons to go back to Europe. But why? I'm going to do my best to cover this topic holistically, from both the athlete's motivations to the athlete's comfort and psychology behind such a decision. Let's talk money, shall we? When it comes to being paid in Europe versus the NBA, there isn't that large of a difference, especially if we're talking mid to lower level players of the NBA versus high quality starters or stars of teams in Europe. It might be a million dollars more money in Europe and probably a longer contract if that's what the player wants, so more security. If we're talking about veteran minimums, then we're probably at the same level with European contracts and NBA contracts. NBA contracts might be half a million more. Most Americans will know the answer to this question. Why does LeBron like being closer to Portland and spend lots of time there? That's where his sponsors Nike are. They are in the beautiful city of Beaverton, Oregon, the Nike headquarters. The easiest channel to make money as an athlete is through sponsorship outside of, of course, their sports contract. An athlete's level of fame equals more and better sponsors, which means more money for the athlete. An end-of-the-bench player from Europe in the NBA isn't getting any interesting sponsorship offers in the US. On the other hand, if they're someone like Tomasz Satoransky or Janan Musa, they are the best players from their country, sorry Yusuf Nurkic, and at home the sponsors can't get in line fast enough. There are millions of people who know their names and recognize their faces everywhere. Yes, Tomasz Satoransky is the LeBron of Czech basketball at the moment. On top of that, being the starting point guard for a team like Barcelona should attract Spanish partners as well. So if fame and being widely known means getting a much larger paycheck and being much closer to my sponsors, meaning I can do much more for them and therefore earn more money from a purely financial motivation, this makes a lot of sense. So where's the line? Nikola Mirotic is the highest paid Euroleague player at the moment at about 5.5 million euros per year. Right now, the exchange rate for the Euro has completely plummeted against the dollar and they are exactly the same. 
Before COVID and the war in Ukraine hit, the euro was often up at about 10-15% to higher than the dollar. In any case, for quality starters in Europe, salaries between 1.5 million euros and 2 million euros are quite common. Less than the veterans minimum in the NBA, more than what a rookie contract would look like. So that line is probably around the $10 million per year mark, where the financial benefits of playing in the NBA outweigh the fame and sponsorship benefits of playing in Europe. Money, of course, isn't everything. I think there are a few types of players that really thrive in the European style of basketball over the NBA version. Let's talk about some of the stylistic differences. FIBA has a shorter three-point line distance similar to college hoops in the US. There isn't any defensive three-second violations, and once the ball hits the rim, there's no goaltending. Stylistically for players, these rules require teams to have an all-time one-on-one talent like Luka Doncic, or to play more team basketball. Players like Tomasz Satoransky and Janan Musa are not one-on-one gods. They thrive in a system of pass, screen, cut, lots of player and ball movement. The other type of player that really thrives are the dead-eye catch-and-shoot shooters. Players like Rudy Fernandez, who still at 37 years of age is making a huge impact with Real Madrid because they are dead-eye shooters, but in a system of movement. Then you have your tall, lanky bigs that are good shooters but don't have the weight to deal with the bigs of the NBA like Jan Vesely. These players thrive in Europe due to all the help defense and shrunk court. So basically, your off-ball slashers and your great shooters are who is going to thrive in a European system. That, and your pass-first point guards, and your skinny, tall bigs. Most European players are groomed with this knowledge and in systems leveraging the fact that other teams often play in zone or clog the middle of the court, and so it tends to create these types of players. When they get to the NBA, the lack of movement on offense and individualistic basketball is something not only shocking but detrimental to a lot of players' games. I think we saw both Satoransky and Musa struggle with this while they were in the NBA. With the overall talent in EuroLeague being a bit closer together and not having the level of superstars of a Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, or Luka Doncic, most years, there's a lot more room for a good or great coach to come in, get a team to work together in a system, and find success. I believe that's partially why the Euro players thrive so much in San Antonio, because Coach Popovich has created the closest thing in the NBA to a European club culture where everyone works towards the same goal and individuals are put after the team. The better I am as a player, in a system that makes me look better, the more I get paid long term and the larger role I have. Success on the court equals more playing time, which equals more screen time, TV time, which means more fame and more money. Therefore, yes, role matters, and it matters a lot. Imagine you're a big shot manager at a company of 500 employees, where you managed 50 of them. You transfer over to a huge corporation of thousands of employees, do the exact same job, get paid more, but now with a team of only three employees. How fulfilling is that going to be? you're probably going to feel like you've taken a huge step back in your career. There's a reason why those looking to move up in the corporate world usually start at the largest company they can and then spend some time at higher positions in smaller companies before returning to a large company with experience at that higher position. I've seen it hundreds of times. Someone works up to the director's level, gets a few years of experience, gets an offer to be a CEO somewhere at a much smaller company, and then after five years of being a successful CEO, returns to a bigger corporate world with a much larger title and paycheck than director level. So what's happening to our European players? Unless they leave Europe just as they're finishing high school, most players feel like that big shot manager. 
going from a job they love with lots of responsibilities to being a nobody. If they believe that they can make it, become somebody in the NBA and have the skill and talent, then it's absolutely worth the risk. But until that happens, if it ever happens, there's going to be a heavy pull back to the safety and enjoyment of the previous job. If you've ever had a truly fulfilling job and left it to take a risk to have an even better life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So there's a balance here between how much effort and how much time it takes to reach a certain level in the NBA, where it all seems worth it, in comparison to having a guaranteed great role on a EuroLeague team. I'm guessing a lot of players coming to the NBA give themselves up to three years. That at the end of three years, they want to be part of the rotation at minimum and after four or five years starters. And if that doesn't happen, then they want to move back to Europe. And when playing careers are often 15 to 20 years in the best scenarios, that is a lot of time to invest. That's like an eighth of a career. We are going to take another short break. And when we come back, we're going to deep dive into some of the psychological reasons why European players would want to move back to Europe. Stick with me. It is time for me to talk about my services. Stress and anxiety are real. And it has a real impact on our lives. But I do have great news for you. Your reality doesn't have to be always feeling like you're behind, scared of the future and what's going to happen, stressed by all the pressures and tasks of life, or worried that you don't know what you want for your future. That's what people like me, mindset coaches, therapists, and psychologists are here for. If you're someone who struggles to fall asleep at night because of an overactive brain, is flooded with fear and worry anytime you're not distracted, can't get motivated for what you want in life because of all the pressures you feel around you, or someone who is stressed from not knowing what you want for your future, then you would be the perfect candidate to start sessions with me. I can guarantee that within 5 to 10 sessions, your stress and anxiety levels will be reduced by at least 50%. And you'll start feeling in control of your life. If this sounds like something you need, then reach out. Send me a few sentences on what you're struggling with, and I'll tell you directly whether or not we'd be a good match. And if not, I'll do my best to recommend someone who would. I work with athletes 15 years of age and older, and all other clients from 17 plus. And each session right now is only $60. For an experienced American private coach or therapist, you could expect to be paying at least $350 a session. And all of my sessions are completely personalized to your needs, whether that's online or in person. So take a look at booking a session directly at coachingpraha, that is coaching, P-R-A-H-A dot com slash book online. Or reach out to me on Instagram, at athlete.m1ndset, Twitter, athlete.m1ndset, or email me at sportsandpsychologypod at gmail.com. Welcome back. We're hopping right into the third segment discussing the psychological reasons for returning to Europe as a European player. So my first question is, what is the greatest determining factor of an athlete's success once they get up to the professional level. And no, it's not godlike talent, superior skill set, or work ethic. Everyone has a godlike work ethic to get to that level. The greatest determining factor when it comes to an athlete's success is their support system. It's their family, their manager, their coaches, their trainers, their support staff, and their friends. I've had multiple clients whose family don't see professional sports as an acceptable career for an adult with a family, and I can confidently say that this heavily negatively impacted the athlete's career, their level of success, as well as the family dynamics. 
I've seen this issue even tear families apart if a life partner isn't willing to make the sacrifices necessary for their partner to pursue their sport. It goes without saying that most European players are going to feel a lot more understood, supported, and closer to this support system being in Europe than if they're 10 hour flights away from their families and in time zones where the only chance of talking to their family is after they've finished dinner and in Europe their parents have just eaten breakfast. Obviously it's not impossible and a lot easier in today's world of international transportation than it used to be. But for a professional athlete, a 5% boost in effectivity because I feel more comfortable with friends and family around me in a place that feels more like home can be the difference between being an all-star and being benched. The cultures between Europe, and I mean all of Europe, are so different than anything the US can offer. The US is such a consumption-driven place, and it never seems like people just hang out in the city. People are always either at home or at someone else's home shopping or working. In Europe, Spain, Italy, and France especially, things are different. There is a siesta culture where everyone goes out around 3 p.m. for snacks and to have a chat, an espresso, or a glass of wine. There's an enjoyment to things where people much more appreciate and savor the experiences they're having and are going through. To us, it oftentimes seems like Americans take everything they have for granted and are always pushing for the next thing instead of taking a deep breath and truly savoring and appreciating what it is they have. Maybe that's because the US hasn't experienced a war on US soil since a tiny bit of World War II and a major economical collapse since the 1930s. In any case, who wouldn't want to live in Gaudi's city of Barcelona with the most amazing architecture and a great beach right in the center of the city, in Little Barça? Like honestly, in the NBA, I always hear discussions about players choosing the team they want to play for based on the city they want to live in. Barcelona, Madrid, the Canary Islands, Milan, Bologna, Istanbul, Paris, Munich, Prague. Do I even need to continue? and I haven't gotten through even half of the beautiful cities here in Europe. If you ask me, every one of these cities rivals anything and everything each one of the major US cities could give. With more interesting architecture and history, but more importantly, a more interesting culture and life with people who share more of their values. On top of this, travel time is a real concern for athletes. If the majority of my games are in the same time zone, a maximum of three hours travel away, I am always close to my family, my friends, and my support system. The reality of an NBA athlete is that they're away from home in hotels not only for half of the games of the season, but for much longer during road trips of 10 plus days. Imagine that other than a night here or there, you always get to return to your bed in your home. This is huge in terms of comfort and in terms of regeneration for physically for the athlete. It takes much less of a toll mentally as well. Something I haven't touched on is loyalty. European clubs have much more of almost a school-like team feeling in the sense that kids are usually brought in around or before the age of 15 and trained up to joining the adult team and becoming professional players. I guess for Americans, you could try and imagine it like this. If you're middle school, high school, university, and professional team, say the Boston Celtics, were all one organization, and you'd been groomed, invested in, and became part of the family from... 12, 13, 14. Athletes truly have a feeling of gratitude towards the club that allowed them to become the athlete they are today and therefore want to do what they can to display that gratitude. I believe that this applies to Tomasz Satoransky, who after a few years at Sevilla and then a couple at Barcelona left for the NBA 
now returning at 30 years old to Barcelona, not only to his old team with tons of history and an amazing club culture and fan base, but also to play with his national team friend and big, Jan Vesely. NBA players do this all the time, trying to move to play with their friends and people who they've played with and want to play with again. Why shouldn't Europeans? Playing in the NBA is great. It's a dream for a lot of kids growing up, but the realities of living in the US for many people and athletes just isn't necessarily fulfilling. And that's okay. Being far away from your family, your friends, your sponsors, and your home doesn't make things easy. And one of the keys to making athletes great is their support system. That's why when European players go to the US or vice versa, there's a larger need for a stronger support staff and definitely a sports psychologist to help them bridge the gap between learning a new style of play, language, and create a new support system to help them feel cared for and at least a bit at home in their new settings. I've said it before, and I'll repeat it again and again. Athletes are human beings with real emotions that truly affect the motivation and ability to focus on their craft. The happier and more content an athlete in other areas of their lives are, the more they're able to focus on their sport and drive themselves to be better because there aren't other distractions. I believe that it's great that players are more often choosing where they want to play, including moving closer to home when financially and for the role they want it makes sense. This isn't some reason to say they couldn't make it in the NBA. I hate when I hear someone say that European players choosing to come back to Europe couldn't cut it in the NBA. That's not the reality. As it's not the reality for many Americans who chose to stay and play in Europe after spending a few years here. It's just a better situation for them. They have different goals than the fans of a given team who think that every player's biggest goal should be to play for their favorite or the most famous team. Newsflash, it's not. So let's congratulate these players the same way we did Jimmy Butler when he finally reached Miami, the place where he had been wanting to go for years, it seemed like. So Tomas Satoransky and Janan Musa, I wish you the best in the upcoming Spanish NBL season, the EuroLeague, and you, dear listeners, I wish you a great rest of the weekend. Thank you for listening or watching here on YouTube to the Sports and Psychology Podcast. Please tell your friends if you like the podcast and if you think that they'd benefit from it. I am streaming every Saturday morning everywhere you can find podcasts as well as on YouTube. If you want to get your questions into a mailbag or give me your thoughts, give me a comment below or reach out on Instagram at athlete.m1ndset, Twitter athlete mindset, or email at sportsandpsychologypod at gmail.com. Do me a favor and hit that like and subscribe button below. And one last time here on today's pod, athletes are human beings with real emotions that truly affects the motivation and ability to focus on their craft. The happier and more content an athlete in other areas of their lives, the more they're able to focus on their sport and drive themselves to be better because there aren't other distractions. Have a great weekend, everyone. Talk to you next weekend.